Father in heaven, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are here today who say, God, I, I need you. God, I need to experience you. I, I need your power. I need your strength. I believe that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And God, while I understand it doesn't mean you pull me out of circumstances, it does mean that you promise to sustain me. So I ask, Lord, that you would sustain my brothers and sisters during this time. Lord, that you would help them to break through uh, whatever obstacles beset them. And God, I pray that you would redeem this experience, you'd redeem this time, and you would use it to grow them in their faith, in their trust view, and that you would use it, God, to draw other people to know you as Savior. And God, I thank you, Lord, for their testament of faith to say, I, I, Lord, I believe, I believe you can touch me and I need you to touch me today. And so I'm asking you to do that according to your riches and glory through the power of Christ Jesus, my Savior. I ask this according to your riches and glory through Christ Jesus for your name's sake. Amen. Scripture today taken from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. We are continuing through the Gospel of Mark, and today uh, the title is Breakthroughs. And as we talk about breakthroughs, I, I want to invite you, we have some books on the outside uh, written by Brad Farlow, who's a member here. Uh, some of you may remember. I've got a little echo going on right here, too, if you can help me on the sound. Um, and he he's a Ph.D. in uh, chemical engineering, and also he's uh, about to finish up his seminary time and has written an excellent piece on seven creation miracles of Christ. Uh, this is a good piece that uh, maybe people who are intellectual or people who just want to understand more and just say, hey, why? Help me out. Help me out on the miracles of Christ. Help me to understand those a little better. And this is a great book, and we want to make those free available for you. If you want to take one and invite uh, someone to church with it, uh, just maybe put your your name in there and just tell them, hey, I'll, I'll meet you at one of the early services if possible. Saturday night, we're doing a 5 o'clock service. 
Uh, we would invite a lot of you to come in, and we're having breakfast at 7 on that next uh, Sunday morning and have a 7.30 service. If you can come early, that will really help us uh, because we are going to be packed. Uh, last year we had over 1,700 people, and we've grown about 12% since then. And just so you know, typically we have about 1,000. That means we'll have about – see how we have right here? If you come in the middle, like if you come at 10 o'clock, or, uh, you're going to have twice as many people. Uh, and some of you like to sit in each other's laps. I would invite you to come. Um, otherwise, I'd invite you to help us out and come early or come to the last service. If you can come Saturday night or early Sunday morning, that would be best. This is the only time you can come. Then come come early um, and think small. Okay? So, uh, but... Also, we encourage you to bring a friend, and uh, this people are more open to come into Easter service than any other worship service of the year. Uh, so pick up one of those books. You may want to read it yourself and invite someone. Okay? I uh, appreciate that. And as we talk about breakthroughs here, you know, I have been using the elliptical machine for about seven years. I don't know if you, you know, that's that machine right there. You just kind of kind of do that. I've been doing that for seven years, watching a television program in our little gym, and eating all the same things that I've always eaten. And I noticed I started gaining weight, and I, I didn't think, I don't think that's right, uh, to, to work out and it have, and I don't know, it doesn't help. It's not helping me. And I just, just kept doing it because, you know why? Because I'm comfortable doing the elliptical machine. <clears throat> it says I'm burning calories right there, and, you know, theoretically, this should be working for me. And it's not. And uh, so finally, you know, it was interesting, uh, uh, several days ago, one of my neighbors, uh, he was out running and as I was going to get on my elliptical machine and serve absolutely no purpose whatsoever, but to make myself psychologically feel better about myself. And he goes, I, I said, you're going to run? He goes, yeah, I'm going to run. I said, well, I don't know if I can keep up with you because he's an, uh, he was an ex-pro athlete. And he said, here's, here's what I do. He goes, I, I run pretty fast and then I stop. I do a fast jog. And then I stop, I rest a while, then I do it again, and then I do it again. He, he does it several times. And I go, well, I'll try that. Well, I, I tried that, and I did it. And the first half, I did pretty well. And uh, in the second half, well, it didn't go quite as well. And But you know what? My heart rate got up. When I got through, I was sweating like crazy. And I, you know, and I went and did a little bit of weights, but I, I had all this sweat, and I could tell a difference. And then I, I did it yesterday, and I've been doing it each day. And, and it's almost kind of like a breakthrough, and it's and it's very simple, but and it's very profound. But yet, I wouldn't do it because I was comfortable. Hey, this is easy. I don't even sweat anymore doing this. This is great. Turn up the air conditioner. Give me a milkshake. You know what I mean? And why do I gain weight? I don't understand. It's the definition of insanity, isn't it? You do the same thing, hoping for different results. Uh, but it was a, it was just kind of a very simple. Breakthrough. You know, another breakthrough I think that's interesting is we started off this book of Mark several weeks ago back in February. And oddly enough, about the time I was preaching that sermon, Dan Wallace, who's a distinguished professor of Hebrew and Greek at Dallas Theological Seminary, uh, was made privy and has been a part of some documents that were discovered. Early New Testament writings that were found uh, over in Egypt. And uh, leading paleographers have verified that it appears that these copies of Mark, these writings of the Gospel of Mark, are from the first century. Now, you may be going, well, big deal. What does that mean? It means a lot. First of all, it means this. It's all the way over in Egypt. 
So it's not like they got them there. Let's go to Egypt real quick with these. Okay. It took, usually it would take years for them to travel that far. So what it tells us is my wife and I were watching just a little segment. We were flipping through the channels on Friday night and the Da Vinci Code was on again. And, um, we watched a few minutes of it, you know, and the guy goes in this big spill how none of the gospels were written until 300 years after the life of Christ. And, and then a lot of them were excluded and a lot of them were added later. And he's just going through all this baloney. And I remember at the time I had a neighbor who didn't know Christ and I was talking to him. And they go, I didn't know all that stuff was true. And I go, it's not. It's not a movie. It's made up by a Hollywood actor. He made up his own facts. It doesn't have any truth to it. Well, what's interesting is they were, even in that movie, and even, even there's a guy named Bart Ehrman, who is a leading liberal scholar, who tries to date Mark uh, back in the second and third century uh, of um, A.D. And now we have evidence of writings of Mark in the first century. In other words, they were written while the disciples were still alive. They were written while all these miracles had happened. People were still alive after that time. Many of them would have still been alive. And here are writings. So we don't have to wonder, do we have it correct? And guess what? It appears that they are pretty much exactly like what we have today. Isn't that amazing? When people want to say, oh, yeah, the Bible's been changed and moved. And, you know, a lot of men have just done different things. Here we go back to the first century. And God has made us privy to that. You think of all the history and now we're going to have access to a first century documentation of part of the book of Mark. It's really pretty amazing. It's a, it's a breakthrough for people who keep trying to late date it and try to make up stories and say, well, what about the gospel of Philip and what about the gospel of Thomas? Well, we know those are dated three and four hundred years after the time of Christ. OK, we know those are older documents. And they have no verification from any other scripture. Nobody, nobody accepted them. So this is a, a breakthrough of sorts. So, you know, as we look at our lives, particularly as we look at our lives spiritually, what are the breakthroughs that need to be happening in our life? And we're going to look at this Palm Sunday, uh, this special Sunday, as we prepare for the greatest day of the Christian faith of Easter Sunday, as we prepare for that time. We're going to look at Mark chapter 2 here, and we're going to see a crowd who's come in. <clears throat> and as Matt read a while ago, <clears throat> this crowd... You know, churches haven't started yet. You know, of course, you have synagogues that are meeting, but Jesus is the first, quote, and John the Baptist, these two guys are really the first preachers of Christianity as we might know it today. And it hasn't even fully developed at this point. So no one's calling themselves Christians. But this is a church of sorts because Jesus is preaching the word and people are coming and some are believing. That's assembly. Church is assembling together of believers and some are believing, some are seeking, some are skeptics. Uh, some are seeking healing. Some are seeking different things. And it's full. It's a full house. And, you know, sometimes we think if it's full, that's great. But sometimes it's it's full of a lot of different types of people. Sometimes churches and our church is the same way, full of a lot of different people. Some people are skeptics. Some people are seekers. Some people are hinderers. Some people are helpers. Some people are healers. Some people are, are just, divine, you know, just devout followers of Christ. And that's probably true of this crowd. And we see some that cooperate. We see that there are a few folks that cooperate and help those who can't help themselves. We also see that lives are changed. We'll see a life that's completely changed and completely renewed. We also will see challenges in this crowd 
as Matt read. We see challenges in there of people who are very skeptical and saying that Jesus is blaspheming. And a matter of fact, you know what? Up to this point, Mark, everybody's fairly happy with Jesus. Hadn't really done anything to rock the boat. He's preaching. Most of the time he's out in the country. He's healed some folks. But now he's going to say and do some things that make people mad. As a matter of fact, you're going to see a dividing in the crowd. You're going to see the crowd start to thin out because there's some people who are not only going to be shocked, they're going to be angered and upset by what Jesus says. But then you see the power of the risen Christ. Here you see the power of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the living God who heals, who forgives. And then you see the people giving praise and glory to God Almighty. Great text. Let's look at it line by line. A few days later, when Jesus again entered in Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. Capernaum is his home base. This is where he's operating out of. This is where he comes back to refresh himself. It's basically where he is living now. It's the ministry base. And so many gathered there that there was not no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to him. So what is Jesus doing? He's preaching. Many have come and Jesus's primary purpose is come that he might save the lost, that he would live die and rise again and provide salvation. But while he is here on this earth and while he is amongst the people, his primary message is to preach the gospel, the good news that the Messiah has come, the good news that salvation has come. And he's preaching the truth. He's preaching the word, the Bible tells us. That is his primary reason that he is here at this moment. And some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four Men. So what we see here are some people bringing their friend to church, bringing their friend to Christ. There's four of them, and they believe that Jesus can heal him. And there's good reason, as we read through the text, to also understand and, and uh, logically deduct that the man who is paralytic believes. He believes this must be the Messiah. This must be the Savior. He's the one who can heal me. He must be the one. They had heard the prophecies. They had heard the stories. He must be the one. And so we continue and they sit, the Bible tells us, since they could not get to him, to Jesus, because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. And after digging through it, they lowered the mat where the paralyzed man was lying on. So, what's interesting to me is... These guys, they didn't let human limitations stop them. They didn't stop and say, well, you know, Joe, it's kind of crowded today. Maybe we come back when it's not Easter. You know, maybe we can come back on another day. This is not working for us. You know, and you know, I don't know that I've got time. They didn't stop and go, you know what, Jesus is here. We believe we're going to find a way to get to him. Hey, that ought to be the prayer of every seeker. You know what? I, I believe if I can just experience, if I can just come to him, he can heal me. He can change me. He can transform me. And so they didn't stop because they read an article in the local paper that says, uh, Jesus doesn't meet all the qualifications. He hadn't gone to the right schools. He said some really wacky things. I'm sure they heard some negative things. They don't, they don't stop. They believe. And so they believe enough that they come into some poor soul's house. And we don't know whose home it is. 
Pretty sure it's not Jesus's house, but somebody's house. And they begin to dig a hole in the roof. I don't know what you would think about that, but think about if it happened today. Somebody came pounding through the roof and they displaced a body right here. You can imagine the stir. And, and Jesus is not frustrated or angered. It's really interesting, Jesus' response. It said, when Jesus saw their faith, isn't it interesting that he said, their faith? Wow. You know what that tells me? That tells me that the prayers of the body of Christ make an impact. The Bible says when two or three gather, I'm in the midst and in the sense of prayer. When you come believing, that's why when we have things that are going on in our lives, we call and we ask other people with faith to pray for us. God honors it when the body comes together for His glory. And the Bible literally says when He saw their faith, not just the man, not just the four guys, but the five of them. When he saw their faith, he does something remarkable. Really something that we don't even really see in any other place in the Bible. He says this. He uses the term, first of all, he uses the term son. Now, in the Greek, that, is a, the, that word right there is very intimate. It is a very close, a benevolent relationship. And that's almost scandalous because most of the Jews and even most of the pagans believed at this time that if you had a disease of this nature, it was because you were cursed. We talked about that with leprosy. Surely, he's done something wrong. And God's favor is not upon him. God's curse is upon him. We ought to stay away. You know, there, there they are. There he is. Matter of fact, if, if it wasn't then, they said, surely his parents had a lot to do with it. And, you know, he's going to be just like his parents. And they certainly were great sinners because he's paralyzed. That's what God does. He curses you. That's why we're like this. And what's amazing to me is really the earliest writings, some of the earliest writings we have are the book of Job. And God very clearly lets us know that Job's three friends who came and said, Job, you know what? It's because of your sin. That's why you're having all these calamities in your life. And God later rebukes them and said, no, that's not it at all. It's actually because Job was righteous. Okay, so it's not, that's not the situation here. So you, you're wrong. And many people still have that view today, and certainly that was the pervasive view of this day and age. Certainly he's done something wrong, but Jesus says, son. Just like the same situation with the leper. He reaches out to someone who society would not touch, would not welcome, who seemed unclean, who seemed distant, who seemed cursed by God. In the most endearing term he could use, he says, son. And then he says this, your sins are forgiven. What? Jesus says your sins are forgiven. It's almost like everybody else knows why this guy is here. He's come. He can't walk. He's on a stretcher. He can barely move. He hasn't said a word. He's come out of the roof. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And it's almost like Jesus kind of missed it. It's almost like he's the pastor who doesn't really realize what's going on in the service. Everybody else sees something's going on back there, but the pastor has no idea. You know, and Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. And I know everybody's got to be shocked, but I don't think that's what he was anticipating. <laughs> I'm not sure that's why he came today. I, and then you've got people in the back going, well, that's not right. That's blasphemy. As a matter of fact, he's so foolish, he doesn't even realize why the guy came. Is he just showing off? What's going on here? He can't do that. That's only something God could do. The truth of it is, you don't really see any other place in the New Testament where Jesus makes a pronouncement like that. 
Because don't you have to repent and ask Christ in your life? Well, certainly since the cross has been has come, we we can, and and that's the way it happens. I mean, Paul makes that very clear: repent and believe. Uh, we always see it through the New Testament. We always see it through Paul's letters. But he didn't do it right here. Why is that? Well, number one, this is God standing right before him. Okay, we don't have God standing right here with us today. The cross has not occurred, but this is God standing right before him. And we find in verse eight, it gives us an understanding of what is occurring. Jesus, remember, has two natures. He's fully man and he's fully God. And in being fully God, he knows the thoughts and the heart of this man. He knows the thoughts and the heart of these men. He knows that they believe that he is more than just a healer. That he is the Christ, the promised one. He knows. And so he, at this point, says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Well, we continue here, and then we see this. He says, now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk about like this? Why does he do this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And there's the key. They did not view him as God. You know, even in uh, Judaism, even as the rabbis taught, they never thought the Messiah was going to be God. They believed the Messiah would heal They believed the Messiah would lead them. They believed the Messiah would change their plight in life and their political situation. That he would bring truth and understanding, but that he were to be God. You wouldn't find any rabbis that taught that. They didn't believe that. They were very much monotheist in the sense that there is one God and they didn't believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They simply believed the Father. And now, what only God the Father could do... Jesus himself is claiming to do. It's scandalous. And immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit, because he is God, what they were thinking to themselves. Why does this fellow talk like this, they ask? And immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up? And take your mat and walk. Well, that's a good question. What's easier? Well, it's probably easier to say your sins are forgiven. That's probably easier on the surface. That's what it appears, doesn't it? Probably is easier to say your sins are forgiven because well, I can't really verify that. I don't, I don't think that's the way it works. That's not supposed to be work, but I mean, you know, everybody believes what they want to believe, sort of thing. You know what I mean? So you might be thinking that. But... Or is it easier to say, get up and walk to someone who's never walked before? Is that the easier thing to do? And so, Jesus really, when he says, are your sins free? That's really the harder thing, quite frankly. Because he is pointing to the cross. One day he will go and he will die upon a cross. And he will shed his blood. He will be placed in a grave. And three days later he will rise again. Now that is the harder thing. But in this instance, it's easier for the crowd. And it's easier for those folks who are just looking to say, well, show me some evidence. And Jesus does this to verify his claim that he is God, that he is not only the Messiah, but that he is, he is the Son of Man, he is the Son of God, he is Christ himself. And he says this, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority over earth to forgive sins. So in other words, 
It is actually harder to forgive, but so that you may understand that I can forgive sins right here on earth. This is where he's making the divine claim, because only God could make this claim. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, take up your mat and go home. And the Bible says that he got up. He didn't go, you know, I, you know somebody's probably going to have to help me. Um, you know, I, I haven't walked before. Are you sure about this? Is there anything else? I haven't seen any magic fairy dust. He didn't do any of this. He had, this is where we really see his faith being personified. He got up immediately and took his mat, walked out in full view of everyone. Now, I want you to think about this again. We just said that we've now found a first century document of part of the Gospel of Mark. And what does it tell us right there? That in full view of everybody. There were so many people there that they couldn't get in the house. So there are hundreds of people. And this guy in front of everybody walks away. Don't you think that people would have been reporting, you know, that story wasn't true. I mean, I remember I was there. That's not what happened. But we don't have any of that. And now we have first century documentation. Interesting, isn't it? He continues on and he says he got up and he took his mat and he walked out in full view. This amazed everyone and they, what, praise God. Because we've never seen anything like this. It was a breakthrough time. A breakthrough time. Now, I want us to look at five principles for experiencing breakthrough in our life. Five principles for express, for experiencing breakthrough in our life. You know, the great thing about this guy was he didn't know what his greatest need was, but yet he knew this was the Savior. As a matter of fact, he came to that realization where he recognized, you know, my greatest need is to experience Jesus, is to connect with Jesus. And, and I know I've he had probably been taught that he was a sinner simply because of his disease. I know I'm a sinner. And so when Jesus says, my son, I forgive you of your sins. Your sins are forgiven. He didn't blink at that because he thought, I, I know I'm a sinner. And later on, on top of that, he heals him too. But his greatest need was forgiveness of sin. And so is true for us. So many times today, we think our greatest need is to get our, our Savior, our Savior that we want. I need, Jesus, I need you to help me get a Savior. I need more money. I need a better spouse. I need better children. I need a better job. I need a better home. And God, I, I need you to help me get those things. And you know what you've just done? If you said, God, I want you to help me get my Savior. I've decided who my Savior is going to be. What's really going to save me. What's really going to take care of me. What's really going to be most important in my life. And I want you to help me get it. See, you haven't recognized your greatest need. When Jesus said this, he forced this man to go deeper. Not to just simply recognize, I have physical needs, but I have spiritual needs. And everybody knew that because he dealt with his sin first. He set this, dealt with his spiritual situation first. And God still wants to bless us and work through our uh, infirmities and through our struggles and our obstacles. But he first wants us to address our spiritual need. Recognize that our biggest need is our sin and the forgiveness of our sin and our commitment to Christ. That's the breakthrough we all need to experience. Now, I'm going to ask two people come up here. Tony and Bill, if you would come on. Tony is a Dallas police officer. And um, and actually, Bill is a special agent. He's an FBI agent. And uh, so these guys are used to handcuffs. And um, so I'm going to ask Tony uh, to um, handcuff our federal agent here, not for anything he's done wrong. And by the way, I, I talked to Bill about this. He said he's arrested well over a thousand, he's handcuffed well over a thousand people, and these aren't people who just got traffic tickets, okay? These are, are people who are 
pretty hardened criminals. He says, no one's ever gotten out. You know, you see all these movies, everybody's wiggling out. Yeah, if you put them on, they're real loose. But you don't get out when you put them on properly, okay? So, Bill, here's what I'd like you to do, though, because, I mean, you've been educated. You know a lot about handcuffs. I mean, you've had, you're a federal agent. I mean, haven't you read a lot of stuff about law and about handcuffs? Get yourself out of that. Just get yourself out of that. I mean, but Bill, what if I what if I give you a book? What if I give you this book and you can read about hand, handcuffs? Do you think you'll be able to get out? No. What about um? I, I tell you, what, I'm going to motivate Bill. You can do this, man. Come on, just really hard, really, really hard. Are you a sissy, Bill? Come on. Oh, come on, Bill, Bill. Yeah. What I tell you, here's what we do. I want you to envision that they're not on. I want you to just think and imagine yourself without handcuffs and see them breaking and coming off. It's not working, is it? Um, let's do this. Let's just pretend like they're not there. What if I just send you back and you pretend like they're not, like, like you don't even have handcuffs? What do you think about that? That's not a good idea. No, that's worked. So, so Bill, what is the only way you're going to be able to get out of these? So somebody has to put a key. There's only and there's only one key that's going to open those. Tony, would you please release our agent? Maybe. All right. Thank you. Thank you, guys. All right. Now here's the purpose of this illustration is that we can think our greatest need is motivation, education. Man, if somebody would just say the right things, if I could just hear the right things, if I just get motivated, or if I can just visualize it, or maybe I should just, I'll just pretend like it's not there. Then we will never deal with the greatest need of our life. We'll never experience the saving, transformational power of Jesus Christ. We have to come to that place where we recognize there's only one way. There's only one thing that will release me from the bondage that I'm in, that will release me from the power of sin and the penalty of sin, and that's the blood of Christ. And not only accepting it, but allowing it to transform my life, believing by faith that Jesus will transform me and submitting fully to Him. Secondly, are you making room for Christ in your life? Maybe you've trusted Christ, but are you making room for Him? Or are you so busy doing things? You know, i got so much, so many things going on. New jobs, a hassle, the kids got the flu. You know, my parents want to talk to me too. You know, and i got things going on all over the place. And I just really hadn't had time to be still. Be quiet before the Lord. Pray and seek His heart to serve. To give, to share. Because I'm really busy. We're not making room for Christ. And what about this? Are you being influenced by the right people? Who are you allowing to speak into your life today? Are you letting, you know, there are always going to be skeptics, even in Jesus' day. You'd do, he'd do miracles and they'd go, well, that's not right. That was on the Sabbath. I mean, people in church. Did you know that there'd be people in church sometimes that can hinder you. They were at this church. They were at that church. They were in the early church. We like to say we always want to go back to the Old Testament, I mean to the New Testament church in Acts chapter 2. Well, a couple of those guys got killed because they were liars. Okay. So, I mean, it wasn't perfect. 
You read 1 Corinthians, there was a wealth of dysfunctional people. It'll make you feel better about your own personal family. Okay? There are always hinderers in church. And there are always people who are going to tell you a different message outside. Who are you allowing to speak into your life? To keep you accountable? Who are you allowing yourself to be influenced by? You you saw this man. He had four friends who believed that Jesus could heal. If he hadn't had those friends, he'd have never made it there. Who are you developing relationships? You know, one of the gentlemen that was baptized a great while ago told us, he said, you know, he said, I heard those testimonies. He said, and then I got into a small group. As a matter of fact, the, the Pacine small group. And he goes, and man, I'm, it's just been great. I've been growing. They've been speaking into my life. What about you? Are you putting yourself in that environment, in that situation? Are you studying? Are you accountable? Are you in a group? Are you doing life with other believers? Refuse to give up. Don't don't just stop. Don't say, you know, I've got these hand counts on. I pretend like they're not there. I, I, things haven't worked for me so far. I've tried before. It didn't, didn't work. It may be because you came asking Jesus to give you your Savior and not ask for the real Savior. Remove the human limitations. You've heard me say this before. Oswald Chambers says, faith is this. It's doing everything you honestly and ethically can and trusting the rest to God. Are you trusting the rest of God? Are you doing what you can? Are you getting on the roof and digging a hole in the roof? You might think, well, that was a little much. You know what? It may be time for you to do a little much. It may be time to join that group, which seems a little much. It may be time to say, I'm ready to be discipled, which seems a little much. It may be time to serve. It may be time to go to Haiti. It may be time. I don't know what it is time for you, but I'm saying this. Remove the human limitations and quit saying, I can't. And recognize you want. It's not that you can't, but you want. And if you can't, trust God with what you cannot do. I, I, here's the truth of it. Is God's not going to do what you can already do yourself. He's going to pick up where you can't. That's what faith is. So, we've got a breakthrough here. And the breakthrough is this, that Jesus Christ has broken through the barrier of humanity. He's come and He's lived upon this earth. God in the flesh. And He's experienced every pain and temptation we had. Yet, He was, did so without sin. And He suffered and died. And died upon a cross. And His blood was shed so that we could be forgiven. So that we might have the spiritual breakthrough. So that our sins might be forgiven and we might be given life. And though we may, may endure temporary afflictions, and objects of, uh, that just kind of throw us off course and hurt, hurt us. Here's what we know is that in the end, Jesus Christ is the Savior of our life for eternity. And when we trust Him, though our obstacles may be many, though we may hurt and struggle, we know this, that He ultimately will redeem His time. And that this is but a small segment of eternity for which we will live with Him in glory forever. And that He will redeem every painful experience for the believer who trusts Him. God will use all things together for good for Him that loves the Lord and are called according to His purpose. Though we may not see it or understand it or even understand it here on this earth. That's the promise we have for those who trusted Him. Who recognize our greatest need. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much uh, for living and, and dying for us. And God, we just commit this time to you recognizing that you are the Savior of the world.
God, I pray that this morning you would help us to see our greatest need. And Lord, it may not be what yells and screams at our conscience. But Lord, I pray that you'd help us to dig deeper and see the need within our heart. The salvation that is needing. The renewal that is needing. The commitment. And I pray, God, if there's one here that doesn't know you, you would draw him today. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.